Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight we have a pretty interesting, I think, show dealing with the development of self in all of its parts, because it has a lot of parts, of becoming a part, it's like a part of a part, of its own creator. Now, you might say, huh? <laughs> yeah, okay. By the end of the show, you'll understand what that title means. But for right now, let's just talk about what a self is in the most basic way that we're familiar with, which is a, a human self. The lowest development of self is in, uh, in, as an individual, is in human beings. Now, you can claim, and there's some forthrightness to this point, that the self of advanced animals in a group soul connection, meaning that it, it's it's not connected to just one soul. It's connected to, you know, the, the, the self, I'm saying it's one soul connected to a whole bunch of cells, is the best way to describe it. And that's way different than how a human self works. That there is some self-development in the more advanced animals, but few of them have much individual self-development. Few being those that usually have contact with human beings, or sometimes they have a niche in the animal kingdom, which gives them uh, an opportunity to develop very, very small amounts of individual self. And that's good, because you want as much variety as possible, because that's what life's about. So it's a, it's a good thing that that happens that way. But if you're really talking about the general case of individual self, now you got to talk about human beings. What is the unique quality of an individual self in a human being compared to what we're going to talk about a little later in the show about other kinds of cells that are much greater than that? And the biggest issue is that the self uh, in human beings has to submit itself, we'll say, to the guidance and sometimes even the authority of the personality. Now you say, whoa, 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 what's the personality? Personality is a subconscious part of a human being. And that part is a part that uh, controls all kinds of functions. Uh, that deal with the senses for the most part. And it interacts between the senses and in some cases parts of the body itself and the individual self. So it's sort of like a go-between. And strangely, to some people maybe, about 95%, give or take, of the amount of impact the amount of information that comes into the uh, senses of a human being are done subconsciously, meaning that the self is not invoked, the self is a conscious being, uh, subconscious to the self and handled by the personality. Whoa, a lot of people don't know that. I know, it's okay. And there's a purpose for this, and it's conservation. If the self of a human being 
had to take care of, the other 95% that it doesn't, it couldn't barely think about all of the more individualized elements that it controls about choices. It controls choices by choosing which choices to direct and to control and to involve the human in, okay? And how the human will be involved in them. So these are not choices like just picking up a spoon or something. These are choices that involve complex interactions with the environment and other people, of course, and sometimes animals, etc. And so it it is a a very important part of a human being, and it can't be wasted on doing most of this housekeeping work that's handled subconsciously by the personality. In reality, the personality in a human being now is much, much larger in actual spatial terms that it takes up space in the mental body of compared to the self. There's another very interesting part of this process, and that is that the personality is given deference over the self because of its location in handling situations of, we'll call it, uh, life and death or just uh, doing fairly dangerous activities and a lot of other stuff. Uh, It's not that the self can't get involved in those things, but for the most part, it doesn't. So when you drive your car, as an example, uh, most of the time, your driving is taking place subconsciously by your personality and not by the self. Now, when you want to change the direction and make some choices different than the way you're traveling, the self will probably be involved in that. But if you're just going down the road and not much else is taking place, you're doing it virtually subconsciously with the personality in control. Very interesting stuff. Now, the personality has three levels of control. The first is over the senses in the etheric physical body. And then it has a part of itself that is uh, taking care of subconsciously. Now. The Uh, senses in the astral body. And then the third part is subconsciously taking part in the lower and some small part of the higher mental body. And it's all done subconscious. It's not like you have to sit around and think about, gee, I better think about that. It just does a lot of stuff because it's autonomic. It's done it a million times. It doesn't seem to mind the fact that it's subconscious. And it is a uh, superior, uh, has a superior capability at functioning as this subconscious entity. However, when we get to the part where we're choosing to direct our givingness, in other words, what am I going to give? What am, I going to, what am I going to interact with on a more creative basis than just doing what I've always done? That's when the self comes into play. 
And as long as the personality doesn't have some serious problem with it, it just says, okay, you're the boss in this situation. Go ahead. I'll stay out. Now, there are, unfortunately for human beings, examples of the opposite. Uh, we call these disorders of the personality. And the disorders of the personality, which are a whole list of things, are mostly considered either criminal or behaviorally undesirable, uh, the behaviorally even, uh, we'll say, uh, hostile, and lack any concern for others. And that's called a personality disorder. Uh, some people have very mild cases of personality disorder in various parts of their personality. And some people have really major parts. Those are the people that usually have some kind of uh, outside uh, force that's going against them, such as the police, psychiatrists, psychologists, or possibly a mental hospital, uh, or in some cases, parents and uh, others, fa familiar people, can sometimes try to quell a disordered personality. Uh, the personality disorder is completely contingent upon time of use. The more it's used and for longer periods, the worse it gets. So if you get rid of it early, probably no harm done. Get rid of it late, probably a wasted life. So there's, uh, there's the odd thing about human beings. And why are we made with such a, whew, a fragile system? Because of the conservation of life itself and the conservation of thought and the conservation of sense. And, and thought is two, two things. It's the choices we have that are then confined by a certain direction to those choices together. And the self-help helps to create the direction of the choices when they aren't autonomic. If you don't have a self that's working for good, you don't have good direction of your choices, and your choices start going into crazy stuff. That's just the way it works. Okay, so... We call this self the little self. Why is it called the little self? I mean, is it like smaller than some other people's selves or something? Well, maybe if you wanted to compare selves to one people, there would be some differences. But really, we call it the little self because it does not have a great deal of chance to, uh, on its own, create itself. It has a minimal amount of potential to do that because 95% of what we're doing is controlled by a subconscious part of us. And part of the reason has to do with the sense issue. Senses for human beings involve, while they're physically alive, uh, all of the energies in the etheric physical domain. And when you get down to these lowest parts of the physical domain, uh, there's extremely powerful forces created by senses that don't work all together at the same time correctly or that are being thwarted by the senses of other people and their interactions. 
so it's very, very difficult for a human being to exist, assuming they're existing with other people, um, and still maintain, uh, we'll call it an independent self, and still maintain a personality that isn't disordered. It's not an easy process because there's all these forces that are going on. And humans, while they're physically alive, have to contend with that. Now, we can talk about the personality after death. Well, that's a different story. You lose a third of your personality, and it's the part that deals with the most difficult parts of existence. And that's the etheric physical. So, so since you don't have those senses anymore, you don't have that part of the personality to contend with. And there's a more equal footing in a person's life astrally, as an example, between their lower self and their personality. To be more specific, instead of being three to one in terms of the spaces they take up in the mental world, and if 95% compared to 5%, it's, uh, it's much better than that. It's like two-thirds of the personality are controlling a lot of circumstances, so it's 60%, maybe 50%, in that range. It depends on the person. And then you've got the remainder by the self. That allows a more balanced state, and, of course, it allows for more givingness on the part of people who live in the astral world. They, their, their tendency is to be more giving, not because they happen to be dead from the physical world, but because of this change in relationship between the personality and self and the physics of the senses. Remember, the senses are composed of energy. They are either they are doing things that are intelligent in their action, or as it is with a lot of people, they are doing things that are uh, we'll call it selfish, sometimes destructive, but in almost all cases are separated from what might be considered an integrated person. So you start becoming a victim of your own sense. As it, as it no longer integrates itself with the, with the lower self and with the personality. And that's an unfortunate characteristic of living as a human where we do live, where we're first incarnate, and that's in the physical world. So we have some significant problems, and the problems are inherent in the system itself. The most difficult thing to do is to be a human being. And the most difficult kind of human existence is on a world that is pretty much dominated by evil. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> That's right. Now you say, well, I didn't sign up for it. I don't want to be here. No, well, actually, you did do that. You see, it's the soul, which we're going to get to, of people that decide, which is a different kind of self, to come to planets like Earth, which are really terrible, to try to do some good, knowing almost full well, or at least reasonably well, that Earth is going to be just the way I've described it. You've heard me talk about it in many different ways on the show. Uh, so we signed up for it. Now, you might say, but I don't remember doing that. No, no, <laughs> I couldn't remember that until... Probably you're in the mental world, maybe. 
after you've died from the afterworld. Maybe that will come back to you. But the point is that, and it certainly will come back to you when all parts of your personality have died away. That's when you go back to being your soul. And then you'll realize exactly what you decided to do because you'll be making the same choice for every lifetime. You can leave at the end, the end being when you're back to being a soul again, uh, in the higher mental world. You can just leave because you're, you're, there is no personality. It's gone. You're just a, fuel, a full-blown self. And you can say, well, <laughs> I know I signed up for this, and I may have been here for hundreds of thousands or a million years, but I think it's time to leave. Well, you can leave. Nobody forces you to stay there. I know that sounds hard to believe for some people because they don't like being here. And they say, well, when I get there, I ain't coming back. Well, that could be your choice, but most likely you will choose to come back. Now, why is that? Because that's the next stage of self-development. <laughs> All right. The next stage of self-development is the self of the soul. Now, that's the human soul. Okay, there's two different kinds of souls, so it gets kind of confusing. The human soul is, you know, it's just learning about the planet that it's incarnated into, and it's trying to gain some level, we'll call it, of functional selfhood while it is incarnating into the lower realms, meaning the physical and the astral and the lower mental. So it's trying to gain some connection. And that part of what we call ourself is uh, still considered a bit of a lower self. It's not the high self, but it, it's a soul self, it's called. And it's constantly trying to be in contact with us. Constant. But if you have a personality disorder, the personality blocks it. So that's a bad news situation. And if you don't have a personality disorder, but yourself is not well-developed, the contact may not be able to be maintained. Maybe you'll have a few moments, and then not again for a year or two or so. So you have that problem because the, the, the self that's on the lower mental, in the lower mental world just has a very hard time connecting with its higher mental world self. And the two together are needed to work together. But it takes hundreds of lifetimes before this is done in, we'll say, a fashion where it works fairly consistently through a whole lifetime or more. And that's because the higher self is just learning by being part of a beginning soul in this world now. That soul might have been more developed in a different world, but it has to now learn about this world. And so it's like a baby soul of sorts, and it has a baby self of sorts. It, granted, it's a higher self than the part that's connected to the personality, but it doesn't have the capability a majority of the time to dominate the thought process enough to get a message clearly through to the lower self. It just Because the lower self is already below the personality. If the personality says, no way, it doesn't get through. Right? Let's say the personality says, okay, come on through. Well, that doesn't mean that immediately our self, our lower self, is going to suddenly say, yeah, I got it. It usually takes a while before we get it. 
And during that while, who knows what we're going to say or do in any situation. That's our problem. And this is common to all planets, but planets that are invaded by evil, Earth is one of the rare birds in this galaxy that is, uh, it becomes almost impossible for it to work very effectively. Because evil is in there all the time, trying to get this whole thing made in their design. And their design is to literally cut off the soul. And it does that by cutting off the self of the soul. And if it can cut that off long enough, usually at one or two lifetimes, that's it. Bye-bye. No more connection with the soul. And now they've got a keeper. You've got someone who will join them in their pursuit of turning the world into evil, darkness. And this is a, 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 this is a scenario that's been going on a long time, a lot of different worlds. Earth is one of the worst in this particular galaxy at the present time. Now, it doesn't thrill me to tell you that because that means we're all kind of <laughs> stuck in this problem. But it's better we are aware of it than not because the awareness of what I teach about this is in itself a help towards uh, not falling victim to it. So we'll call it understanding, which is the self's main job is increased by hearing me teach about this stuff. And if your understanding can grow, the self grows. And then we don't have as much a problem in hearing the self of the soul. Now, the self of the soul is not a full-blown higher self. It's sort of an intermediary. And it's in flux. It's not, it's not a bad being, but sometimes it's inoperable. When the soul cannot get its own self to function properly, it just shuts itself down so that it prohibits itself from becoming contaminated. That's its automatic. And it does so because it understands enough to know that that's the greatest danger is not shutting it down. So the best thing is shut it down, Maybe wait another lifetime if it's necessary. Or wait for a prime opportunity in the present lifetime. And then try to get through. Fascinating idea. Fascinating. Okay, so that's sort of the in-between <laughs> version of itself, right? Well, what's a higher self? What's the, the real, the big self that's supposed to be part of us? Well, that's part of another being, called a solar angel. Now, what the heck is that? It's an energy being. We're not an energy being. We, have, we use energy for our senses, of course, but we're predominantly a thinking being. This is a being that is predominantly an energy being that has learned to think as well with itself as it does in its senses about everything else. The two are equal. Wow. That's called our higher self. Now, why is the higher self such a great champion for 
a human being to have. Well, instead of having to shut itself down every time something isn't going too good for us, it is capable under the worst of circumstances to still be available and to still be quite helpful to a person who is even creating some of the worst, most hideous, evil things in the world. You can say, well, if you're evil, why would you even consider that being? Well, part of it has to do with the trickiness, <laughs> unlike that of a human soul, that this super soul has. Because it is predominantly an energy being, it understands much better evil. It has evil, in order to really understand evil, you have to understand energy. Because evil works through an energy model much more so than humans do and most other life does. And so here now you have an expert on your side that understands evil better than anything because it understands energy better than the evil itself does. And once once you have a being like that on your side that you listen to, and it's not so easy to listen to this being, because it doesn't tell us the things we want to hear. Our our the, the self of our soul sort of splits the baby on that. It tells us what we can hear, some of which we want to hear, some of which we don't want to hear. It mixes it together. Not so with the higher self of this energy thing. That's called the higher soul now. Not not like that at all with that. That being does not work like that. It says, I'm going to always inform you of nothing but giving truth. Not just truth, but nothing but giving truth called love wisdom. That's the only thing I'm going to feed you. You're not going to get any warm fuzzies like you buy from your soul, your lower, you know, the, the, your own soul self. You're going to get straight and stuff. So you hear things from this great being, but they may frighten you. They may give you tremendous trepidation. They may give you a, uh, unusual sense of fear because Unlike the soul's, human soul's self, this being is unafraid of death. It doesn't have any fear of death whatsoever. The soul still has some qualificative sense of fear of death, the human soul. But this super soul, which is still our soul, it's a, it's a bigger soul that's helping out, has zero fear of death. And you might say, well, that sounds like a good thing, isn't it? Or would you be really, well, maybe it's not such a good thing. <laughs> you go back and forth. If you're not afraid of death, what if you're going to go kill yourself? You, know? uh, you don't kill yourself for no reason at all, but you're willing to die for giving wisdom, for love wisdom. You're willing to die for love wisdom. So to help others gain more wisdom themselves, you're willing to face your own death. And death doesn't have to be just a physical phenomenon. 
death can be death through identity, death through, uh, with some people, no money or more re- no resources. Death could be uh, a cell confinement for the rest of your days. Death could be uh, being tortured till you die. So death has a lot of ramifications, but to this great self, it doesn't affect its decision to help you serve others, because that's what its job is, is to help you serve as more like your creator, God, than like being a human. Interesting idea. Some people are threatened. As a matter of fact, in my experience, most of the people that I've talked to, which is a very large number actually, uh, have been threatened by their higher self. They'll bring up things that come straight from their higher self, and then they'll talk about enormous fears coming from what is coming into their thought process from somewhere. They may not be able to identify it as the higher self, at least unless they've been following ancient wisdom or I've been teaching. But that's what they're saying. And I help them get through that by helping them to gain a greater sense of what this higher self is like. And that's the way to resolve the problem. Unfortunately, there's four ways to, to get to that point. And each one of those ways uh, requires more and more sacrifices, greater levels of, we'll say, deep thinking, and a kind of almost um, disregard for the the self that's part of the person, connected to the personality. That's the lowest part of the self. Virtually a disregard for it. Now you say, well, if you disregard that, aren't you likely to get yourself killed or something else? Not exactly, because something else happens when you when you connect with this higher self, yeah, the really high one. The personality is kind of stuck because it says, well, what happened to my lower self? And the lower self is saying, I'm following the higher self. So now it's without a self. And it scratches its head and it says, well, where am I going? I'm just going to run these bodies and do nothing else? But... And then the soul, that's the in-between self, says to the personality, hey, come on board. You and I, we can get together. You can't get together with this higher self. It threatens you too much. But you can get together with me because I'm sort of in-between. I understand your problems better. And you can start joining with me. And it says, well, what's in it for me, us, whoever? And the first thing it says is what's in it is you're going to feel, you're going to feel now, a new kind of sense. Because it's big into senses. The personality loves senses because that's what it's there for. It runs 95% of our senses. It's this big sense thing. So it says, what are you going to do with my senses? What are you going to, I'll tell you what. I'll join them together so you end up with a super sense. Whoa. Well, that would be efficient for me. Yeah. You'll be way more efficient. And once you join together to the super sense, you're going to be far less threatened by that evil stuff that's all around you. Oh. 
Well, I'll try it. Let me try a little bit and see if it works. So he does one stage and another one. And suddenly it starts saying, well, this really works. If I join with the the human part soul that's kind of still developing itself, if I join with that, then now my senses are strong enough to withstand all of those threatening things that are terrible out there, including those evil dudes that want to do bad things to us and to others. That's how it works. And if it didn't work that way, the truth be that we would never be able to truly join with our higher self, the, the part that's at the top of the mental world. Because the personality would just never go along with it. And it does control our existence, especially while we're physically alive. So in order, you got to placate it. I know it sounds terrible. It's like, oh, God, I got to placate it. Yeah, placation doesn't mean like you're, it's a sellout. It just means that you give it something that it needs that helps it to cope with what it thinks it can't deal with. Well, that's not a bad deal. And a strange thing happens that as the personality starts to join with the call it the lower soul or mid-soul, the two of them gain from each other. It isn't just a one-way street. A lot of people say, okay, the personality is getting the whole deal because it just says, well, now I can deal with all of these threatening uh, senses that are coming at me and all this dangerous energy being thrown at me and bolts flying, who knows what it's doing, what's coming at But another thing happens, though. That lower soul, which is what we identify as our soul, also grows from the experience because it borrows some of the energy that now is in abundance because it's placated the personality. There's a lot more energy available. And it uses that energy to build this thing called an antakarana, and it, it, it borrows some of that energy and feeds it into these divinic energies that exist in the mental world between itself and the soul and the personality. And it starts by building that system. It takes a while, a number of lifetimes. By building that system, these three parts of the human being start to become one being. One being. And what is that one being? <laughs> Do we have a name for that one being? <laughs> uh, kind of. Uh, there's some differences among different parts of ageless wisdom, etc., describe it in a different way. But you can think of it as a human who has become a superhuman. They have become a human being far and beyond what humans are normally like. And they have mastery over the entire mental world, giving them mastery over the three worlds total. Their ability to function becomes phenomenally greater and stronger. Their thought processes overwhelm most other people because they think at a speed that nobody can even imagine. And they, they have uh, more than just thought. They can just about do almost anything. And it seems like there's 
They're just superhuman. That's the only way to describe them. But the odd thing about it is they keep themselves pretty well hidden from others because they're such, such a super being, and they're still sometimes physically incarnate, and certainly in the astral and lower metal world incarnate at times. When they're there, if they aren't hiding it from most other people, they, they are too threatening to them. And so they would lose contact with other human beings, so they keep it to themselves. It's not to manipulate or to try to control other people. It's to prevent their becoming so threatened that they can't work together. And that would be a bad thing, right? Okay, so that's, that's how that whole system works. It's pretty amazing. And we've only really gotten to a point in exploring the lowest parts of self. There's a lot more to the self than what we're talking about. But it's so fascinating to me that everything I'm describing is almost completely vacant from psychology. And even in ageless wisdom, which is a lot of what we call what I teach, but not entirely, um, it's, it's chopped up. It, it doesn't have integrity. So you read four or five or ten different angels' wisdom authors, and they don't have it all put together. One might have one part of it better than another, but that doesn't help because it's not integrated. So you read about it, but you can't figure out what it all means. And in most cases, there are enough strong pieces missing so it's virtually useless to have the information because it doesn't give you any working, working understanding. And that's what's the, at least the highest self of the soul situation, the part of the, the highest solar, the solar angel part, that is really an energy being, remember that. That being uh, has to gradually work with us to get us to accept all this and not either reject it or become threatened by it or, in many cases, misinterpret. Now, I want to talk about the biggest misinterpretation is reincarnation. Why is that such a big problem? Well, because reincarnation has been explained in almost every wrong way possible and never explained in most right ways. So it's it's got a well most of the time I shouldn't say never but almost never explained in any right way. So most people are scared about being punished for having lived prior lives where they were selfish, but they're still being selfish even when they're in their present life. <laughs> and so they have a fear of this whole system because it suggests that they're really going to get the whatever kicked out of them, because they are not perfect. Well, that's okay, because if you look at the actual, the actual, not the fake belief structure that most people have about reincarnation, the actual element about it is to improve this connection and make everything better, not punish and for a lot of people, that's where the mix-up comes into play. How do you convince somebody that certain bad things are going to happen to them? And it's not punishment. 
Well, you have to understand what we consider a bad thing is an opportunity to serve that we didn't take a while earlier. That's it. If if you use that definition, oh, you mean if I served a little bit earlier in my life, that bad thing would not have come out like that? That's right. Well, maybe that's not so terrible. Then. Right. So I just have to stay up. I have to keep going closer and closer to my highest self in at least the mental world and uh, stay above or before this stuff works out in terrible ways. That's true. Well, how am I going to know how to do that? Use your senses to determine the amount of force that is being used either against you in a way that is caused by you or against you because the dark side wants to destroy you. You have to be able to discern the difference between those two things. And for a lot of people, they get very confused by that. So you do the right things, and you still have to be willing to stand up to and fight against evil. You can't just do the right things and lock yourself into a closet because that's not how reincarnation and forces work. You have to you have to work with other people in a, in, in a way that gives you the opportunity to win, we'll call it, against the forces that the dark side wants to use on you. And you do so by creating so much light that you become unstoppable. Now you could say, well, what's unstoppable? Does that mean you're never going to make not touched by this stuff? No, no. There's going to be instances where you will be, but you'll still overcome it. Uh, you can't avoid the dark side, and you can't avoid the fact that you made mistakes, selfish mistakes, of course, earlier in this life and many, many prior lives. All those things are out there, but you can stay ahead of it by creating more light. And the light itself becomes a protection from any extreme evil destroying you. And for most people, from even suffering severe consequences of any sort. This is a, an amazing system because it has a kind of ring of fairness and truth to it. and it, But it gives freedom to humans, especially. Uh, whereas if you try to make it so that the human never has to deal with that sort of problem, they unfortunately won't grow into being greater beings. In order to achieve the level of growth that we're aiming for, there's only one method, and that is to allow a certain amount of karmic circumstance to take place that you inevitably, usually in with with others, defeat it. That's the way. That's the method that has been for a long time the method that has been successful. And the higher self, the one that's at the top of the mental world, the one that's part of our uh, the being that is our great solar angel being, that being knows all this. The human soul is learning it and does not know it. 
It has to learn it. It is not that familiar with it. And the personality knows almost nothing about it. Almost nothing. So you could imagine with this, and that means that the lower self that is controlled to some extent and a large extent by the personality um, is, is totally clueless. The only way it can get it is by experience and by doing and by living a life of created virtue. It's got to do it. It's got to live it. Can't read a book. Can't sit down and meditate about it. It's got to actually live it. And that's the toughie. When I tell people this, which I often do, they get upset. They say, but I only want to read. I only want to meditate. I don't want to do all that other stuff. Well, that's okay. You're just going to suffer. And you'll be back doing the same suffering in the next life. Maybe a little worse because you didn't learn this little life before. And it just keeps getting worse until you change. Well, that's not fair. I read Angel's Wisdom all the time. Well, good. You can read till the cows come home and don't change anything. It's only how much creation of virtue that you give to others so they can do the same that makes a difference. All the rest of it is your own concoction of fantasies about what it means to be spiritual. Not based upon truth, not based upon anything except what you want. And when you want, you're not going to get. But that's unfortunate. Now, I tell, I tell almost everybody I teach this, what I just told you. And I would say a very high percentage, <laughs> definitely above the 90% mark, don't want to talk to me anymore because they don't like the answer. But if I, I can't be responsible and not in some way teach this as a truth that they need to at least experiment with to see if it's correct. I'm not telling them to accept it because I said it. I'm telling them to just check it out. And I'll help you check it. I'll give you some ways and some things. And if, when you get stuck with something, I'll help you. But you got to still do something yourself. You're not, it ain't going to come just because you sat and read, read something or meditated. I love the people that say, well, I meditate every day. Oh, how much more selfish are you than that? Well, that isn't selfish, is it? Yeah, it's terribly selfish. <laughs> That's all you do. Think about yourself. Or think about ways you might help somebody else, but you don't do anything. <laughs> you think we're here just to think and not do anything. Okay. So senses don't, don't count about anything. You don't need senses. You don't need to be you sitting around thinking all the time. Okay. All right. So when we talk about the higher self, the part that, that is part of our solar angel, that being is absolutely an activity being. It literally is in the energy kingdom. We identified as being part of us and part of the human kingdom because it's so intimately connected to us, but it really isn't part of the human kingdom. It is a part of the energy kingdom, which makes it something completely different than what we're used to, we 
we have to become more like it, not vice versa. And it does gain something by working with human beings. It gains all the experiences that the human goes through. And in service to the human being, it doesn't have to go through being human because it really is in part being us eventually. Co-service, we call it. That co-service is the critical element. Well, I, you know, we're we're going to go to break in a, in a couple of minutes here, but I want want you to think about this. That so far, what I've described, and there's a lot more to talk about self because we're going up, as they say. What I've described so far is mostly misunderstood by almost everybody I ever talked to. You know, it's like I I, I almost expect that when I get into this stuff, I'm going to go, uh huh. And particularly since the self is about the part that gives and that closes what is known as a field, by closing the field, because it gives direction to the field, it's the consciousness. It is our consciousness. Without it, we really don't have consciousness. So, you know, people say, well, I thought thought is just, you know, making some choices. No, thought has to involve directing the choices. And making that direction a part of whatever it is you're doing. Not just playing or pretending. That's a common error. All right, listen, we're going to be back, uh, give or take, in about uh, two and a half minutes. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you about a lot more about a lot of other parts of self. We'll be back in two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. 
I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's Hidden Meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, the show's topic is the development of self in all of its parts of becoming a part of its creator. Yeah, that's the long version of tonight's show, I guess. Uh, let me uh, go on and talk about the parts of self that most people have no familiarity with. I mean, even people who have read some of the stuff I've written and others, they just, they just can't grasp what it is. So I'm going to spend a lot of time, well, as much as I have tonight anyway, trying to explain these other couple parts of self, we'll call it. And they have, they have a lot, of, there's so many different things to talk about with them. I'm not sure we'll make it through it all. We'll see what we can do. So where do we go from the top of the metal world? It seems like, whoa, that's such a hard thing to do with a human being doing that. It's a really amazing thing. It's great, yes. And it's an energy being now. But that energy being has three parts to it. And it has three selves to it. We've only covered one of its three selves. And... That one self deals with the lower three worlds, the mental, the astral, and the etheric physical. And the sense is that we have in those three worlds. But there's something, something's much greater than what those three worlds represent. This being has another part of itself that's kind of almost divided in two these days. So I'll try to explain that too. And that self is at the atomic level, the top of the uh, intuitional world. Now, you got to understand what intuition is before we could go any further, so I have to spend a little bit of time talking about that, because you're going to say, oh, how can you be, have a self of intuition if you don't know what the intuition is that you have a self about? Well, intuition is the ability to join concepts together as needed uh, in as many ways as are necessary to gain a complete understanding of the three lower worlds, that's the etheric physical, the astral, and the mental, and at least some part, usually they call it the rain cloud part, of the lowest part of the intuitional world itself. What does intuition do for you? Well, when you think of something, in the mental world, you think from one concept to the next. That's just, it's, it's sequential, is the best way to describe it. It doesn't mean you can't think of a hundred concepts within a minute. I think most people could. Uh, but it's still sequential. One, then the next, the next, the next. So the brighter you are, the more you have this ability to think in concepts, 
the more you've developed that part of the self that's in the higher mental world, and there's two parts to that, remember, uh, the more you have that you can develop conceptual understanding about the three lower worlds. But you only develop it for yourself at the time that you're doing it. You're not developing it for or with anyone else. If you reach to the very top and you can get to that level that we just finished the last part of the show with, we're dealing with the part of the solar angel, that's an energy being, and you can think from that being's perspective, okay? Now you have a great ability that's not something to be snoozed, sneezed at and said forget, but it's, it's a great ability to, for yourself only, come to an understanding of all the necessary concepts to, to create the giving of truth to others. Love wisdom is what it's called, giving of truth to others. So you can give people the truth, but you can only do it from your perspective. And you can only do it from your ways of understanding it, not from anyone else's. And you can't share it directly with anybody. So the problem is that you can think it, that's wonderful, but in order to share it, you have to lower it down all the way to the other two levels of lower self to be able to communicate it with others effectively. Well, when you do that, you give up most of the giving of the wisdom. So the only thing you are, the only thing you're doing is you're creating wisdom in yourself and some others by what you explain and what you may be doing. And your actions, the actions that you take, uh, would hopefully be uh, actions that helps others to develop their senses in these lower worlds and to generally find some level of what we call truth. Well, what is truth? Truth means that the thought forms, the forms of the thoughts that people use, when they put them together, generally consistently come out to the same answer. That's called truth. But unfortunately, you're not giving people the ability to give that truth to others because they can't share in your thought process because they can't reach to the higher parts of the mental world. And so you're stuck. They're stuck. The best you can get is truth out of the situation. And truth is an okay thing. something wrong with it. The only problem is that truth lasts for that specific instant in time. The truth of today may not be the truth of tomorrow or the truth of a million years from now or a million years ago. We unfortunately have a time separation problem. The very fact that you're not thinking in unison with all others that are doing the processing of the information causes the truth to sever itself from giving it in ways that others can do the same. And so all you're giving them are, we'll call pieces of answers that may apply to a specific time and space, a particular place at a certain time. That's the only thing you're giving. That's the best you can do. Well, that's very, very limited. I'd rather have that than nothing, 
but it isn't that great. It's where most science is today. Most science, the best science we can find, is right in that position. And the worst science doesn't even get close to that. So we we have some really confounding problems about trying to create something that is more than this very limited variety of truth. At least get to age, you know, to to the truth with some form of wisdom involved of givingness, you know, where you help other people to be able to create truth for others, which is science doesn't necessarily do that here on Earth. So it, it, it thinks it does, but it doesn't. And that's why we have every month new science. <laughs> oh, forget about what we said last month. That was all wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? Okay. So what's the next step? Well, the next step is the lowest part of the intuitional world. They're called the rain cloud of knowable things. You're still using items that people are familiar with, things, okay? But among those things, they gain truth in three different levels. First about the physical, the physical world. Next about the astral, next about the mental world. And that truth is actually giving. It's a giving form of truth so that they can give this truth to others and use the truth to create even greater levels of truth. Both. That sounds like a great idea. Unfortunately, it's only for things that are already in existence and known about, and it doesn't therefore deal with the future very well. Matter of fact, it almost ignores the future, although technically it can talk about the future and, and give some truth about the, filter, the future, but it may change quite readily, actually. So it isn't that much better than the mental world. It's a bit better. It's a bit better. Because you can share the truth with a bunch of people. But their level of giving truth after you share it with them is haphazard, and it's based upon all kinds of issues going on in the lower world. It's contingent. And so the rain cloud of knowable things is based upon only things that are knowable. Well, what about all the stuff you don't know about? Too bad, so sad, can't do anything with that. And not only that, but you can only reach a very limited number of people because it's still about those that can reach at least into that rain cloud to some extent while you're teaching. And a lot of people can't. So that's, a, that's another problem. And you say, well, oh, that doesn't sound very promising. What's the next step in this? And it's all based upon self-development, right? So the next step is to get to the next plane above, the fourth subworld. The middle, the, literally the middle of the intuitional world. What happens? It's so magic. There. Well, the three parts come together that are the etheric physical astral and mental, they're treated as one, one truth, and you have the benefit of all those who think at and above the level of thinking, which is the fourth mental subworld, that you're capable of hearing. Uh, it's more based upon the person who is trying to think from there than it is from others above them. And the result is that now you are giving truths that work for all time. So you could apply it in the past, the present, or the future, and it's still true. 
And not only that, but you can give it to others much more easily because you're bypassing, literally bypassing, this need, if you call it that, to have it uh, held in the lower mental body as some kind of quote-unquote knowledge. So it's not about knowledge anymore. You don't have to have knowledge. You just need the concepts. And person, once you give people all the concepts and they got the concepts, they can create whatever knowledge they need within fractions to, of a second to a second or two, and you don't have to do nothing. You've done it for them just by hearing it from you in the correct way. Now, very few people can teach this way that are human beings because a human being has to unify their own bodies to the level that they teach from in order to effectively give to others the ability to share this givingness that serves others as is needed, as needed. Not, you don't jam it down their throats, it's just as they need it. It's, it's brilliant, but it's also difficult. How many concepts are we talking about? Well, if you're teaching from the rain cloud of noble things, you might be talking about a eh, hundred concepts, thousand concepts, a couple thousand concepts. It's possible. Now, concepts alone are not the real value. The value is what other people can use. And when you get to the value of how much they can use, it's always defined by the lowest, not the highest elements that are controlling them. So say you give somebody a, a 2,000 concepts, but they get four out of them <laughs> that they can give to others and use to serve other people. Well, it's not so great an outcome, but that, it's better than nothing. What happens when you get to the to the fourth Buddhist sub-world, which is the intuition world? Well, now you're dealing with tens of thousands to over 100,000 concepts. But the most important part is that what you're giving people is the ability to give the concepts to others, either collectively with others or even on their own. And they're doing it because you've changed their consciousness. You've raised their consciousness to that level while you were teaching. That's an amazing thing. And then the people say, wow, I really gained some understanding from what you just said. You know, the stuff I heard in my life before this may have been the same facts or something, but I couldn't understand it. That's what's really going on. Most people may not even understand what I just said, but they have the experience, so it's good enough. If they really understand it, it's even better. Okay, so now you get to the fourth Buddhic subworld or intuitional subworld, that the two are synonymous, different names for the same thing. And we have a new kind of self-developing. What is this self? Well, that self is part of the top self that exists in the intuitional world. Uh, the top self produces what is known as perfect, perfect thought in one particular way. And the perfect thought is that there's always... Always beauty being created. And so what's, what's that mean? 
Well, it means that the thought always creates a completed self. Always. A hundred percent of the time, if you can think from the first subplane of the intuitional plane and teach from that, a hundred percent of what you teach is available and becomes a part of those that hear you teach it. And it makes them more beautiful and more capable of helping other people to experience this two-to-one ratio that is so critical in understanding concepts. It is a really big, big change. Now, you might say, well, okay, let's say you, me, on the radio, could teach from that plane, from the top. What would happen? Well, nothing would change for the people that are listening right now, but there might be a few people out there, not very many, maybe in the hundreds, who would get much more out of the teaching because it would make them much more beautiful, this two-to-one ratio uh, factor coming into play. And so the concepts would have a new method that is connected to a new self. And that self becomes a part of their self. Unfortunately, teaching from the fourth Buddha subplane, people don't really gain more of a self. But they do gain a better understanding, which is not to be, you know, it's, it's, it's good. But if you really want to get to the higher self, where the real bigger self is, you got to get to the first, the, the atomic level of the buddhic plane. And what happens then? Well, magic. <laughs> magic is what happens then. Because every concept that you have produces a perfection, a perfection in the balance between thought and energy. Everyone. There is never any thought that's wasted. There's never any energy that's wasted. And everything that is conveyed or done reaches the maximum amount of surface for those that it's aimed for, which is anybody who's probably getting and hearing it or whatever. And so you get a whole new type of self that's added. Now, to if you're really there, if that's where you are, uh, you are officially an active member of the spiritual hierarchy, and you have kind of like a say-so in what the hierarchy does. What if you're at the fourth level? You are still considered a member of the spiritual hierarchy, but you can't add your thought to their thought to make a difference going up. Only You can only serve those at and below your level, but you can't serve those above your level. And so you're kind of a junior member of the spiritual hierarchy. That's in today's speaking language. That's, it could change and will change over time if Earth still exists. So... That's a, a, there is a, a significant difference, but it's still in the same ballpark of this thing that hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of concepts coming together that you can serve with 
give to others so they can understand it and that they can use any part of it within some level of service to other people. Wow, that's a big deal. So we have really two stages of the development of the next stage itself. And the first stage is an incomplete. That's the fourth Buddhic subplane. And the completeness of that stage is on the first Buddhic subplane, where you become all-knowing. What does all-knowing mean? It means that you can use all of the potential things that can be known about any issue, anything, here or anywhere else in the universe, you can do it. Uh, you can do this within a way of communication that for those who can reach to that level, it serves them. And for those that are already beyond that level, even in a different world possibly, they can borrow some of what you're thinking. Other worlds could even be. Now, this is so dramatically different than the way humans think that it's hard to, for me to explain this because for most people, they don't know what it is I'm talking about. In other words, it's like, huh? <laughs> and everybody's experiences this all at once, and what most people experience is only themselves. So now they have a self, if you get to the Buddha world, where others in knowledge are sharing all knowledge. Wow. You might say, well, what's beyond knowledge? Well, a lot, but we're going to get to that. But in the meantime, the important thing to realize is that this method is designed to bring us to a new stage of self-development. It's considered the second stage that leads to omniscience, all-knowingness. Now, you can say, well, if you're omniscient, aren't you like God? Well, sort of. God is certainly omniscient. Omniscience, though, doesn't give you the ability to be God. It doesn't even give you the ability to get to the next level of the development of self. But it does give you a great improvement in self. Because omniscience means that no matter what the circumstances, at least you have the ability to understand through knowledge what is occurring. Other understandings are still missing, but at least you can understand that way, and that's a big deal. That's a, it's, a, it's a small thing. It's a huge thing. That's the second major self. When you reach that level of self at the top, of the Buddhic world, the intuitional plane, when you reach that level, you, along with all other selves, have an understanding, omniscience, of all knowledge about all things, everywhere. That's a big deal. 
That's a pretty big deal, right? You would say, yeah, that's getting in there. That's getting up there. All right. Now, what about uh, the, the people in the middle? Where's their level of knowledge? Well, they have a lot of knowledge, and they are omniscient. Their, their limitation on omniscience is that they cannot give it well enough yet. They have maybe even almost the same level of knowingness. But knowingness is not the entire requirement. You have to be able to give it. And so those at the fourth Buddhic subplane are just maybe just as omniscient, but they can't give it as well. And those at the top can give it all. Whatever they know, whatever omniscience they have, they have a capability of giving to others so they can do the same if they choose to. That's the next self. That's the second big self, the huge big self. And for a lot of people, it's mind-boggling. It's so big, we, you know, it's, it seems impossible to have that level of options. Okay, that you can also give. If you reach the top. Now, let's go on. Because <laughs> there's more. All right. So you say, well, how, what is what else is there? You can create this the great thing. It's called beauty. Wow. Be the most beautiful being in the world. You can, by, if you're omniscient and you can give the omniscience perfectly, you are a beauty. That's, that's what literally the definition of beauty is. But it isn't by any stretch the end because it's only the second of the three higher um, super cells, we'll call them. Now we're going to go to the top of this super energy being that we is part of our higher self now. And that being's highest self is at the top of this spiritual plane, the next plane above the intuition plane. Spiritual plane. What's going on there? Well, that's where the spiritual hierarchy exists as a total body of understanding. If you're really a full member of it, you have to be able to think from that level. And not a partial member, as those in the Buddhic world are. But this is, you know, if you want to be in there making all the major decisions, you got to be there. But what are you gaining? Well, you have omniscience. You don't lose that. But you gain something that's a little bit bigger. It's called omnipotence. What is omnipotence? Omnipotence is the use of power for the creation of more of our creator. Not just more of the self, but more of the creator, and that is omnipotence. And someone who reaches the very top, now you gradually gain this level of omnipotence, but as you gain the level of omnipotence, you can't usually function equally with omniscience. You just can't do it. So you're switching back from being omniscient to being omnipotent. And then from omnipotent to omniscient. 
until you reach the highest level where the highest self is. And at that level, you can be both omnipotent and omniscient together at the same time. Now, what does that give you? Whoa. Well, it means that you have moved from becoming just a self to becoming a part of God. And as soon as you can exercise this omnipotence and omniscience, and you can do so for the level that you're functioning within, which might be on a planetary scale, could be on a much larger scale, like for a galaxy or whatever. But once you reach that point, you then jump and you become something much greater than what a self actually even is composed of. And you give up all self, you give up all spirit, because the idea of spirit is God's, we'll call it God's thought process, separated so that beings with less capability have certain levels of thinking within them, and spirit is the ability to do that. Now you've joined that with omnipotence and with being omniscient and you find yourself at the top, the atomic level of what is called the second monadic plane. And if you're there, you become the teacher of an entire world. Teaching a world is not like we think of it. It doesn't mean that they have classes you can attend. I'm going to see the teacher of the world. I've got to, you know, I've got to get there in time so I can. No, it's nothing like that at all. The teacher of the world, first of all, teaches the spiritual hierarchy. So the first job of the teacher of the world is to teach the hierarchy that functions in the spiritual. Then its next job is to teach those that are in the intuitional world. Ah. Okay, <laughs> so it's a teacher of those. Finally, under rare circumstances, it teaches humans, but those rare circumstances have to be created by the humans themselves to allow this teacher to be present in helping them. And that requires quite a bit of effort on the part of the humans to develop consciousness and balance that consciousness through the Antikarana and the whole thing so that they can receive direct contact with a world teacher. Now, you can say, well, okay, uh, how many world teachers are there? Well, uh, there's a, usually there's one, and there can be more than one. There, right now on Earth, there's three. But most people don't know that because the teachings in Ageless Wisdom have only talked about one. And in some cases, if you're talking religious cases, they talk about Jesus. Uh, Jesus was actually the student of a teacher. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because you get confused if you don't really understand everything I've just taught so far. And most people have no clue about what I've just taught so far, if it's from thousands of years ago, so they wouldn't know what I'm talking about, right? 
Okay. But it is very important that we recognize that being a world teacher is only one of the avenues that great beings take in their eventual becoming, uh, we'll call it super monads in leaving our system. It's a little hard to understand this, but they have seven in the cases of our world, but up to nine in some worlds, uh, methods of leaving. And one of them is being a world teacher. Not everybody chooses that methodology. And uh, they only stay in that position for a short time relative, like a thousand, two thousand years. And they they move on. And some other being might take their place. So this is the way it tends to move. And the process is more confusing because when we're talking about these teachers, etc., they're monads. These are beings that have gone through huge amounts of life creation all the way through humans and beyond. And so they, they have created enormous levels of life, not just on one planet, but eventually on many. And it gets quite complicated. When they get to the first, the first world, which is the highest level you can go in this in this universe for us. They are, from that perspective, much more in contact with their creator, God, than they are with, and with each other, than they are with anyone else, like lower in this whole perspective. Could they occasionally, if they choose, to have some contact with some human being? Yeah, could be. Or with some superhuman but not a at the level they're at yeah they can they can because they pretty well can do whatever they want <laughs> they're becoming god and they're going to experience everything that god has experienced up to that point they're going to create some new great experiences uh as they're there in the present sense but they will also live out a projected future, which may or may not be what God ultimately experiences, but it will be, as from their perspective, as though they were God experiencing the entire universe from beginning to end. That's a pretty... Rem- and then they're called a silent watcher while they're doing that. They don't, they don't do anything to change God. They're, what they're doing is to experience the nature of God completely in this universe. And that's what the process is about. Are they contributing something? Sure, they are always contributing, but they're not replacing God. So the result is amazing. The created become the creator and move on to one or three other universes that are completely different from this particular one where they are God-like in those universes, but they're the more, it's a more advanced universe than this kind. We are in the really basic universe. And eventually, you can become a god in a universe of only gods. Yeah, and that universe never stops growing. 
So it's a it's a really remarkable plan. It works very well. And as far as the development itself is concerned, about the best way to understand the process getting back to the self is that our perspective of self starts to disappear. Uh, once you get beyond the spiritual plane, it's not appropriate or probably correct to talk about the self because the self is a specialized thing, we'll call it, that allows life to be separate from God so life can grow more of God without God controlling it. So the self is a big job to play. But eventually, the beings themselves learn that that's what God's doing. And they participate in it instead of having to be forced, so to speak, by just being part of a system that they probably most of the time don't understand. And even if they understand it, like in the spiritual world, uh, the spiritual hierarchy understands a lot of this, but they still aren't ready to function without self. So they still are working within the highest self. And to us, it seems incredible that we could be selfless because we identify so strongly with what we perceive to be who we are as a self. True, if you're teaching, and if you're teaching in the intuitional world, you very quickly start losing that sense because you gain the other perspective. You begin to realize what a self is, how it's really meant to function, and you start thinking beyond it even while you're in the setting where you're using some of the greatest parts of it. It's an odd thing. So the greater you become of a self, the more you give up of it. <laughs> a little contradictory, I know, it's a little strange, but that's the way it works. And we exist in this almost, we'll say, hidden realm where we don't even have a clue about most of this stuff. Granted, if you listen to the show, I'm hoping to open the doors. All right. Maybe you can comprehend some of what I'm talking about, and maybe you can't, but it may be helping. I want to do that. I really want to. And I don't want to take yourself away from you. It's too early for that. I want you to gain a greater self and to function from these types of selves that are not selfish. Now, to get out of a selfish self, <laughs> you have to start at the top of the mental world, and even then, in a perspective sense, the self that is there, which we think of very highly of, of course, is the self that most people think of in angel's wisdom is the highest self, it's not. That self is not freed from being selfish. It's only in relative terms selfless. It, why is it still selfish? Because even though it's the highest part to our personal perspective, 
it is a self that is mostly disconnected from its creator. Uh, it, it has some knowledge, but insufficient amounts to even be omniscient. It's not even omniscient. So it's not all-knowing. It has only the ability, we might say, to get us to give to others in ways that we would think would help them to be better givers. That's what it's good at. That's a good thing. I don't want to dissuade you from trying to reach that level. But it isn't anywhere near the levels of higher self. And so here we are struggling to be something that is barely, barely godlike. It's very interesting. And we struggle very hard to do that. And it's not, I'm not throwing barbs or sort of trying to say something derogatory about what we call the higher self. I think it's a wonderful thing. And it's truly a great being in and of itself. But be aware, if you could have a nice conversation with that being, and you can actually do this, but it's a little hard to believe. Let's say you could have a conversation, which you can't do. And I can say you can't do it, but it just takes a lot of service to do it. And in that conversation, you wanted to learn its overall perspective. And you'd say, I know that I am you, and you are me when we're in service. Tell me what that means to you as a higher self in the mental world. And I think the response we would get based upon responses that I myself have gotten is that what I am is a being that is more energy than spirit. And the energy part is more advanced than the spirit part that I am. So when you see me as a spiritual being, you're you're mistaken who you're seeing. I'm really an energy being who has learned with great difficulty how to balance some of my great energy with spirit. And I sometimes can reach a balance that is great enough to be able to be of great service to people who teach in the, in the human world and to people who are trying to do service that helps others to do the same in the lower worlds. That's what I am. I'm this being. But I still identify myself more as an energy being than I do as a spiritual being. Now, I know as I move into the intuitional world and become even greater, that will not long, no longer be the case. But for right now, this is who I am.
that is a lot different <laughs> than most of the people I've talked to that have studied angels' wisdom or anything dealing with metaphysics, and especially if we get into quantum physics, which is, of course, part of my training as well. If we're talking about how does quantum physics really work, you have to see it from what I just said, or it doesn't work at all. The the only way you can defend the idea that energy follows thought greater than its own, which is part of quantum physics, and that there are multidimensional spaces that have different, we'll call it standards uh, to them, of thinking and thought, etc. The only way you can explain that is by recognizing what I just tried to explain about a great being. A great being who is an energy being, who is learning to be an equally spiritual being, but has not done so yet to any significant level. Significant to us, yes, but not to it. And it's dependent upon a human developing itself to join with it in the intuitional world and from that standpoint to gain together this greater beingness of equality between spirits and energy. Remember, it's still, still not equal because there's twice as much of one to the other at the top of the intuitional world. It's not balanced. It's still a two-to-one ratio. So you, it, you, you don't have what we would consider to be anything like what we normally consider these beings to be until you get to the top of the spiritual world. Wow. That is so phenomenal. So phenomenal. And what about the humans that are involved in this? I count myself as one, but there's others. And the people involved in this are directly sensing. They're not just thinking about this. They're directly sensing all the stuff I just told you about. They're actually, they can sense what I'm saying. And that's a lot different than just being able to think about it or listen to someone like me talking about it. If you can sense it, being it is a real thing for you. And it takes a while to sense what the solar angel part of us is sensing. And it's that which, that's what changes us. It really makes a huge difference in us moving from a human being to a superhuman being and beyond. Eventually back to a monadic existence. So we're, we're we're really just reaching into a place that for most people it is almost incomprehensible. I'm trying to make it comprehensible tonight 
by explaining all this. And why is it like this? Because the Creator, God, doesn't want to regulate, control, and define life. It wants life to be free. And with freedom, unfortunately, possibly, comes ignorance and comes misinterpretations and wrongful ideas, including certain religious ideas and including certain scientific ideas and certain everything ideas, right? And it's only as we explore those and recognize the errors that we make in them that we begin to find out who we really are and what we are, more importantly, becoming. I love this because in terms of science, which I'm very fond of, it leads us to a new idea about science. Right now, science is very, very confined to finding truth, but it doesn't care much about wisdom and the truth. It just cares, cares about, well, if 2 plus 2 equals 4, it should always equal 4. That kind of stuff. But the, the real problem is that science has a, a fallibility that is torturous to all the people that don't have a spiritual side to themselves and who are scientists. They cause great suffering for themselves because every few years, every decade or two, all their ideas go by the wayside. They fall apart, and, and, and they they get depressed. They get uh, they get confused. They get argumentative and selfish sometimes. And if you begin to start seeing spirit, start understanding that they're spiritual beings, and what's missing is a huge, huge amount of reality, which is spiritual side of existence. And since science has mostly excluded spirit out of itself, at least at the present moment on Earth, it's in a horrible condition. Scientists are fighting among themselves. They're fighting with everybody else on Earth. They're in grave fears of death. Why? Because if you're a scientist who believes there's only physical reality, when you die, there's nothing. And the fear they have of death, they project onto the environment. So now they're afraid the whole world's going to die in 10 years because it's warming up. Well, maybe it is. And then we could probably do something to solve that problem. But maybe it isn't. If it, get, if it gets cold like it did a few hundred years ago, we'll all be dead because of the things they want to do, scientists want to do. And we make huge mistakes. But but the real issue here, the real issue is that the poor scientists are suffering immensely. And they suffer because no matter what theory they believe in, they try to exclude everybody else instead of to include. <laughs> The only reason they'll include anybody is if they believe exactly what they believe. And what they believe is so far from what's real, no wonder nobody could come to any, any kind of consensus. Give it five or ten or twenty years and it'll all be wrong 
I mean, it'll be proven wrong. Then what do you got? Now invented some other nonsense theory. The idea of a multidimensional universe is almost 100% rejected by scientists. It's not just rejected. They won't even consider it. Yet, the only way to explain all the effects of all the observations that presently has been done in by scientists, a multidimensional universe is the only thing that does that. Especially one with a creator in it, and especially one with everything that I talk about. It helps. It just solves the, almost every problem you could imagine that they're fighting about. This is all caused by the idea of the lowest part of their self, the one we started the show with, having an affliction. The affliction is they tie their knowledge, which is wrong, to their existence in self. And science in the fifth ray in general does this more than any of the other types of people. That makes them more susceptible to the terribleness of that position in and of itself. And it makes our world a nightmare <laughs> to live in because uh, you can't trust or believe anything you're told. I mean, it's just nuts. And as they discover things that don't fit their agenda, which is that there's no God, and blah, 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 they will ignore it. They'll say somebody else made a mistake about it. It can't be true. Or they'll invent a whole new thing that is even more dumb and stupid, even more ridiculous in terms of how the universe actually exists, just to cover up the fact that they got it wrong. No, that is bad news. It's real bad. And I, part of me, I'm a scientist. Really big time, actually. Most people don't know that when they listen to the show. I'm billed as a metaphysician. It's easier that way, believe me. Uh, but I've been a scientist for longer than most people would believe. And I've worked as a scientist for a very, very long time. And so the interesting thing about this is you end up with these contradictions about almost all elements of what people call truth. And so there is no real truth even, much less truth with wisdom in it. Even the truth is not to be found. And in order for truth to sustain itself, it has to be truth connected to wisdom, which we're just very, very far away from that. I'm sad and saddened by the problems that the self creates. Most of what is wrong on Earth today has to do with the lowest part of the self. And it's it's almost better if we could just get rid of that. <laughs> we can't, of course. Because we go back to being animals. So this, I mean, I I realize that we have to have it, but it's so defective on Earth. Now, there are there worlds where the self is not a defective part of existence for humans? Yeah. There's planets that are called sacred planets. 
everybody's self is actually fully integrated and functional and doesn't have uh, lies built into everything it thinks about. And it's very open-minded. And in many cases, they understand a great, 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 great deal about the universe because they understand a great deal about ageless wisdom. But those planets aren't here. And we're not going to have access to those because Earth is an experiment. The experiment is to see being cut off from all of the other help from others in the universe, can we defeat evil in half of the time necessary at the present time to defeat evil and do so by developing humanity like they develop in more enlightened worlds? These are big ifs. And we have to use not just omniscience, we have to use omnipotence. We have to use both power. And there is a real problem in the use of power because for literally a million years or approximately, let's say call it 800,000, uh, it's, it was ignored by people who were supposedly spiritual. They said, now power is not a good thing because power can be used by evil to force people to do things. And it's all true. I said, I'm not a true statement. But, but you, you still have to use power. Because power gives you the ability to change energies, to change everything about you that is, we'll call it, almost impossible to change without some power available. Also, you can't defeat evil if you refuse to use power because evil is extremely good at it. And their method of power is illusionary and scary. That's the illusion, actually. And most people become afraid of the power itself instead of becoming concerned, if not afraid, about evil and use power against evil. Now, I know it was done a little bit in World War II uh, at the end, towards the end, and I understand all that business, but... As far as the spiritual side of things, it, it, it's still been very difficult to get this idea back again. Yeah, a million years ago, everybody seemed to understand you needed to use power. But there was this glitch coming from goofy people who someone weren't from Earth in the first place, and they just screwed things up. And so we're trying to work our way out of it, and we don't have much time left. Why don't we have much time left? Because our lack of use of power has become so epidemic and because we refuse, refuse to accept evil as a serious contention and problem here on Earth. And that's also the refusal to some extent accepting God. Uh, because of all that happening, we are going to be in deep trouble, maybe succumb to evil, because if you refuse to accept evil exists, you're almost invariably going to be destroyed by it. Because you won't even use the power you might have, because what are you going to use it on if it doesn't exist? <laughs> yeah, that's where we are. Uh, and I find myself in that position daily 
when I talk to people, it's a constant issue. When I listen to the news and other stuff constantly coming up, and we just don't accept that evil exists and it's winning. And we've got maybe a maximum of 100 to 150 years left before evil completely takes over Earth. And the plan says if it does, Earth will just be destroyed. You might say, well, that's not fair. Well, it is. Would you rather have an evil planet like Earth uh, trying to get even more planets evil like it is? Or would you rather just get rid of it? I'll take the get rid of part. That's where I come from. You might say that's cruel. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm just looking at it realistically. Well, you know what? We're running out of time. I want to make this point very clear. That the development of self is a critical element in understanding who and what we are and where we need to go. And if we don't get that part down, we'll never even find evil. And so tonight's show is pretty important. I hope it has helped. Sure, I could have gone deeper and explained more, but for right now, think about it. Maybe we listen to this show because, after all, stuff I say goes by pretty quick. I know I say a lot of different things pretty fast because I want to get as much in as possible before the show's over, of course, <laughs> which it is about over. All right. Well, one last thing. I will tell you this, that at the present time, the greatest levels of evil are in some sense, not completely in all, in all ways, fighting the very things that I and others that I work with are doing. So I want you to understand that we're not we're not just talking about this stuff. We're right in the middle of it. If you want to help, we definitely could use some. And if you want to know more about it, you can contact us. We'll explain more if you need to have that understanding. Before I know, you should know that I'm not speaking about this as a silent observer from afar. We are right there. Right there. It's not like it's getting, it's not like it's just going to disappear. If anything, it could get pretty bad. But we're ready to face it. We are doing that. Well, we're out of time for right now. Until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Why Life Is. <laughs>